Tanya for Teshvat is the beginning of chapter 22. In the beginning of chapter 22, the Alter Rebbe is going to address a question that comes up from what he's explained in chapters 20 and 21. The basic thrust of chapters 20 and 21 is to explain that the world, the, the existence of the world, the existence of worlds of Biyah and the physical world are all a Dibur of Hashem. And being a Dibur of Hashem, as by a human being, a Dibur is not value, has no Chshivus, and therefore is not considered that it exists. Likewise, and how much even more so by God, the Dibur, the world being a Dibur, doesn't really have any existence. It's Kula Kamei Kulei And as we explained how this represents the concept that's explained in Chassidus of Yehudi Law, which means that the only thing that exists is God and godliness, and whatever is perceives whatever perceives itself as in an existence, meaning an other existence, an existence of, uh, of of being different or separated from God, is only a a, 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 a false sense of reality, and. That full sense of reality gives that person the space, or that creation, the space to believe that there's a separation, God forbid, between him and God. In today's parak, in today's Tanya, the Alter Rebbe is going to explain how, in truth, that perceived existence actually has truth to it. And in order to flesh out the point, we need to explain a very fundamental point in Hasidus. Although, when we speak on the level of Yehudi Allah, it comes out that there is no existence other than God. There's nothing else that truly exists, or nothing that even has its own independent existence, a Dabr Bifnei However, God created the world in such a way that the creation and primarily the lower end of creation, this physical world and the things which represent the sitra achra, literally the other side, the things that perceive themselves as being other, being different, being independent of God, actually is God's intentions in creation itself. It's not his ultimate intention, that's not the tachlis, that's not the objective, as we know that the objective is to bring about the Deir Tachtoinim, as we're going to learn in the later chapters of Tanya. But the fact that there should be things that exist and perceive their existence in a way of independent existence is part of the plan. It's part of God's design. And with that understanding, when we say that there is a world, Bereshus Baralakim, God created the world, and the, the world exists, and there's creation that exists, that is a true statement. There is existence. And there is a truth to the existence. Is that existence an independent existence? Or is the perce- perce- perception of the independent existence have any truth to it? The answer is, from God's angle, God's perception, God's perspective, no. But God made it that from our perspective, the answer is yes. And this is part of God's grand scheme of planning the world, is that there should be, on the one hand, a sense 
on our end, that we sense that we exist and have an independence. This allows for freedom of choice, allowing for one to do his avodah, his job in this world. But deeper yet, it enables the person to then really connect back up to recognize and realize that his perceived yesh, his perceived existence is really ayin, really has no existence. In other words, the ultimate objective is, as mentioned by the Alter Rebbe and other places, is to make from yesh ayin, is to transform, to bring back the perceived existence to its ultimate state, which is that it's part of only an existence of God, and reveal every aspect in this world as being a chelakalaka, to being just the pure energy of God, and not having any sense of this perceived false, uh, of this independent existence. This idea comes crucial because based on what Al-Tareb has explained till now, that we're using the word dibor, as the Pasuk says, Bidvar Hashem Shemayim Nasu, God created the world through dibor. So the obvious question is, why does the Torah use a language that is not true? If, as we said before, there is no dibor by God, God doesn't speak, the form of communication of speech, which we said that is attributed to human beings, is not at all akin to the type of speech that we're saying about God. Because by God, the only aspect of speech that is similar is the fact that there's a revelation of things that were concealed. The fact that there's a gilui, there's a world, or worlds that now are revealed, that were till now concealed within God's potential, within the energies of the Orient self, now there is a finite world or, or worlds, etc. But that is a very far cry from the actual definition of the word Dibur. So the obvious question would be, is how does the Torah utilize a word that doesn't truly describe what is going on? And furthermore, we know that any manif- anything in this physical world, what manifests in the physical world, such as light and therefore speech, etc., all is a mirror image of what goes on in the spiritual worlds. And in the, in the way it is in the Eulamais al and in the infinite in the Ur Insaf. That means everything has to originate, have its source back in the infinite levels of God. If that's the case, and on the infinite levels of God, the concept of Dibor is not at all the way it is in, in human beings. So there's somewhere a mismatch. There's somewhere where this idea of Dibor is a fabrication. So to deal with this question, the Alter Rebbe answers in chapter 22 by explaining that Dibor is very much in line with a true expression of the way God created the world because of the fact that we perceive, or at least some creations, some elements of the creation perceive themselves as is existing independent, like coming from the Dvar Hashem, meaning like Dibor by a human being, which as we explained in yesterday's Tanya, the Dibor itself actually does create its own Metzius. It becomes sort of Metzius Bifneyatsma, the fact that the Dibor has its own breath that now becomes dislodged from the person. In that sense, there is an actual Dibor that's coming out. And because there is some elements of creation, obviously the elements that are misitra achra, 
the elements that don't feel themselves connected and bottled to Kedusha, but the ones that feel themselves from the other side, meaning they identify more with, as Al-Tareb will explain, the levels of Alekim Acherim, from receiving their energies from the backward fashion, as one of the interpretations the Al-Tareb will explain of Alekim Acherim. So those, per, those elements of existence, there is a truth to their sensing of their existence or their independence from God, and from that, the word deeper is actually correct. So in other words, the fact that there, we use by God the word Dvar Hashem, by Yoimer Hashem, there's actually a truth to it in the sense of the fact God created the world that there could be in the perception of man, in the perception of creation, that we are a Dvar Hashem, that we are a separate independent existence that emerged from God, but now, has taken on a life of its own, has become an independent source. So although from God's perspective in Yehudi law, there is no such a thing, because the Dibor of God is really still ultimately unified with him, as we explained in yesterday's Tanya, but there is a truth to the way creation perceives that energy, that Var Hashem, as being something separate and, and independent. And al explains why God chose for this process, because this is the ultimate way of giving Bechira, this is the ultimate way for allowing for there to be a, a structure of creating the world the way God designed, in God's design, for there to be um, the, the abilities of Schar and Oynish, which is interconnected within the Bechira Chavshis, the idea of transforming the word, etc. All of this is when you create a an, an element of where there's a sense of independence, and even to the extent that there could be things that sense their independence, that they could actually think that they have full independence from God, which gives them a certain sense of being the Elikim Acherim, as the Altrebbe will explain in the second explanation in this chapter, tomorrow's interpretation of Elikim Acherim, where they actually take on for themselves a sense of where they do exist independent of God, where they even could deny God as being their source, or where they have no independence really of God. But that's all part of the great plan of creating the world in such a way to enable there to be this process of avoida, etc. What's also very important in understanding in this parak is that Al-Tarebbe is now going to transfer from explaining the Achtos Hashem, which is embodied in the Anoichi Hashem Lekecha, the first of the Aserah Sotibris, as the explained in the first, in chapter 20, and now moving into the Lo Yilcha, into the elements of what's Avodah Zorah, of what's considered the sense of idolatry, which the Al-Turabek connects Avodah Zorah to Kfira, the fact of denying God's unity. So believing in you or our existence as being only an existence of God would be the Anoichi Hashem Lekecha, the ultimate unity and then the other extreme would be the the self, the perception of self as existing independent, and more than just independent, but actually feeling that you have your own existence, which is the the other extreme, the end of Tuma and Klipa, which is the which is Avedazara and Kfira, etc. And the, these two perspectives is going to be the main thrust of what the Altareb is going to highlight in chapters 23 and 24, and then bring it together in chapter 25 for us to have now a clear, conscious understanding of the choice we have between doing right 
versus wrong, being Mesitra Diktusha or Mesitra Achra. Recognizing and realizing that our Dibor is merely a way of explaining the concept of Gilui, but not that we have, oh, our, that we have any independence, or seeing the world as being independent from God and therefore having a life of its own and denying God's unity. And that would be the biggest sin, but more importantly, every Aver that one does is essentially saying that. And that will be the point that Al-Tarebbe will make in chapter 24 of how this could awaken within a person at any time when he recognizes and realizes that when he does an Aver, he's actually connecting with the Sitra Achra and creating a Kfira in the unity of God and if we said before, when a person is challenged with a, a point of faith, he's, he wakes up to his Chochmah that allows him to overwhelm his Nefesh Bahamas. So at any given moment when he's challenged with even the slightest simple challenge against God's will, giving into that challenge means attaching oneself to the Lakim HaCherem, to the idea of Sitra Achra, to the idea of Kfira. And that should awaken within the person the sense and the recognition that he is being cut off from the Lakim the true Elikim, Elikim Chaim. So the Alter Rebbe begins chapter 22 by saying, Rak. It's a very interesting language. The Alter Rebbe starts off saying, only one should know that although we said till now that there is Dibor by God, but the Dibor is not really Dibor, you should know at the same time it is really a Dibor. Why? Because we have a principle that Chazal teaches, When the Torah uses terminologies about God, it speaks within the language of man. In other words, in our perception, from our, the way we look at things, the way God created us to perceive things, this is actually a Dibor. This is true Dibor. And God wanted it to be that way, and therefore God created Dibor to have this element within it that it could be something that becomes like an existence of itself and seems to take on its own independent existence. And therefore, says the That's why you'll find in the Torah that the Torah actually does describe God with this terminology of Dibor, an actual Dibor. Like man speaks. Even though seemingly we just explained in chapter 21 how God's speech has no resemblance to man's speech. But in some aspect, from our vantage point, from our end of the, sp- of the scale, there is a truth to it. Because in truth, says When God created the world, the process of creation went through this stage of constant contractions, deep contractions. There's different expressions here of the different types of contractions that we're talking about. There's Tzimtzumim Rabim, which refers to a quantity of tzimtzumim. Tzimtzumim atzumim, which refers to a quality of tzimtzumim. Kamus versus echos. Miminim minim shenim, many types of tzimtzumim. There was the original tzimtzum hagodel, or tzimtzum harishin. Then there was the kav, the chut, the parsa, different levels of tzimtzumim. All of these things created and brought about that there should be many different levels of creation, each one feeling itself more and more as existing. V'kol kach, and this is something that produced so much. The contractions created such a great concealment from the true ponim, the true essence of God, 
the inner essence of God, till there can even exist things which are tamay, which means things which are, can never be elevated, they're completely impure, as we know only when Mashiach comes and says, things which are klipas, which are conceal the hidden sparks of God within them, and things which are sitra achra, things which perceive themselves as existing from has their own independent existence. So that's how powerful these simsum have been. So powerful have been this contraction of the source of the energy of the light that they could exist these things and they could perceive their existence. And to give them life, a soul. Bikiyuma means in their body. From the word of God, from the breath of God. In a way of concealment, as explained later in Tanya, the concept of Hester that this evolutionary process of, this, of the, the energies flowing down created greater concealment of the true light. And as it descends further and further, there comes more and more of a feeling of the thing dissipating from its real source and becoming a thing for itself. This is why the Torah defines it This is going to be the first interpretation of which is going to focus on the reason they're called based on where they come from. What's their source of energy? The second interpretation, which we'll see tomorrow, is more how they perceive themselves. But in the first interpretation, this is why they're called because their flow of energy their source of energy is not from a panim, it's not from a direct um, um, source of God. It's from an indirect source of God. What does it mean from an indirect source? Like when someone gives someone to his enemy, he doesn't want to give this to his enemy. So naturally, because he doesn't want to give it to him, he presents it to his enemy in a very indirect way. Like he throws it behind him. He turns his face away from him, from the fact he doesn't like this person. So likewise above, when we focus about the energies that are panim, that's the inner desire, the true desire, that God desires, panim refers to the energy that God gives to those Creations are those things that he wants the energy to be there, the things that are from the Sitra Dikdusha, the things that God truly intends for their existence to be. Avala Sitra however, the thing that comes from the opposite side, the things which are Tame, those are the things that God are, are this hates, they're, they're, they're an abomination to God. He doesn't give them a flow of energy from his inner will and his true will and his true desire. Just, rather, it's more like what he said before, like someone who throws something to his enemy from behind him. A way of an analogy, perhaps, of this idea is when someone, let's say, is creating a, a, a stage to perform a certain performance, so you have the main actors, the main characters, and you invest a lot in producing the characters to be a certain way, and then you create props. Now, the props are only just to bring out the storyline or whatever you're trying to bring out within the particular show that you're presenting. The props are not 
that so important to you. They're just that. They're props. They could be broken and replay, reshaped and they could be used for other things. They don't have no essential role within themselves. They're only there strictly in order to enable for the main characters to take the stage and have this background that plays out the scenario. Likewise, in this case here as well, God created the world with many different types of creations, things which even stand to be opposed to God, things that stand to be opposite of God's will. And God has some intentions of creating them. It's not that God doesn't want them to exist, because if God doesn't want them to exist, they wouldn't exist. But He doesn't have a true desire for them to exist. It's not the real purpose, the real intentions for them existing. They're only existing because they play as a prop. They play, so to speak, as a backhand role. They're a supporting cast to allow the main characters to take shape, to allow for the main characters to have their structure to allow them to grow and mature and develop. So there's a necessity for, the, for them to be there, but they're, they're not the main show, they're not the main purpose. And therefore, they're called the Lekim They're considered the behind, indirect flow of God because God doesn't truly desire them to exist. He only has them to exist for a secondary purpose, for a purpose that's not for them themselves, but rather they're a means to something else. As an analogy, as in another analogy, perhaps for this could be, is when you have, for example, a person who, ex when he's talking to someone, so sometimes he's talking to someone and other people overhear what he's saying. Now, his main focus is the person he's talking to. The other people just happen to hear what he's saying. That energy flow that's coming to the other people is not truly intended for them to hear. But it becomes important for the environment for them to be there perhaps because that allows for the person who is listening to be more attentive, to be more focused or whatever it may be. And that's perhaps another analogy to this idea. But Altareb explains, so what is, what is their function? What's the purpose of having such things that perceive their own existence, that actually are Tomei, that are Sitra Achra? Is only to punish the people who do bad and give reward to the tzaddikim. The eskafin sitra that they refrain, they restrain the sitra They withhold this other energy. They put it in place and recognize for what it is. So God puts this in play for Bechira purposes, scharva einish purposes. And that's why they're called ucharayim, because they're considered a secondary, non-direct purpose or meaningfulness by God. The Ratzon of God is not that they should actually be there. They're not essentially the rule of God. They're a secondary nature to God's essential purpose, which is those things which are attached to God's holiness, God's side of Kedusha.